Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Well, last week we started a series called Afterlife and um, I hope it was so cool to see people. Uh, I still felt like we were gathering because I'd see people in the chat and I'd, uh, you know, people would be having a laugh. People were sending ridiculous questions as usual to continue the conversation and it was lots of fun. But we started this series called Afterlife and the premise was where is your hope? Like, where is it? What's it based on? And it kind of really was sprung to life a little bit at the start of the year. Um, but also my daughter this year is doing her HSC and she did English. And one of the things I have to do, like a major work, which I didn't realise you had to do for um, Smart English. And they, uh, she did something called... Um, I can't remember, but it was really good. It's like a short um, story. And basically it was this... Has anyone ever read Pilgrim's Progress? Um, Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Like it was basically an, an analogy of the afterlife or the in-between, like what happens when you die. And, and it didn't resolve and it wasn't Christian, um, which was, you know, a little bit challenging for me as her mum and a pastor to be reading. But it was very much looking at the, the concept of religious individualism, which again, I didn't know was a thing until she wrote it. But it's basically that people fracture away from what Daz was just talking about, that we come together to worship God, but people fracture away into their individual beliefs. And this whole thing that she did, which is actually super clever, was um, an analogy or an allegory of what happens when we all break apart in our religious individualism. And I was like... You're smart. <laughs> well done, Bells. But um, it was really clever. And, and so I began to think about religious individualism and the fact that really what we see now is people have this smorgasbord of afterlife options. And it's pretty much choose your own adventure. Do you believe in the zombie apocalypse? Turn to page 23 and read that part. Do you believe in... Um, Reincarnation, turn to page 42 and you'll see what happens to you there. Do you believe in Jesus? Well, turn to page 56 and see what happens there. But we realise that that's actually not possible. If one of us believes that there's a zombie apocalypse, then this is what the afterlife looks like. Doesn't it? Um, but if we believe that we get reincarnated either into an ant or to a king or whatever it might look like, that that looks vastly different to the zombie apocalypse. I can't coexist. And if God says, if the Bible says that Jesus is the only way to the Father, then that is not that inclusive. It's super inclusive in that the invitation's open to all, but it's somewhat exclusive because you can't get there unless you choose Jesus. So that brings us to, well, what now? We looked last week at what if. Uh, what if there is an afterlife? And we went right through this massive thing. And Daz told me that I preached too long and he was absolutely right. Um, I went right through this whole history of what people have believed across time. And it was all just to say, the fact is people look at Christians now and go, you guys believe in an afterlife? Okay. <laughs> You know, the 1800s called, they want their construct back. Um, and they're kind of like, are you stupid to believe that there's life after this? But we're looking at all of that to say, well, across history, time, culture, people have believed that for years and years and generations. And even studies show that the majority still actually do believe that. So don't ever think that, oh, wow, am I a bit silly? No, no, that you're, you're common to man. It's very common to man to have a belief in an afterlife. So then what if... And we looked at what the Bible said about some very firm and certain things about the afterlife. But what I want us to look at today is what about now? 
What difference does that make to our life? Now, next week, okay, I know it's the middle week of end of the holiday. So, and I know that we've been cooped up in our houses. So you're all probably going away to the beach and, and go for it. And I love that, that you're doing that. And if you're not, I'm really sorry. But, um, but if you are, like, make sure you jump online. Make sure you have a look at, at what then, because honestly, it's my favourite. It's my favourite. But it's really important that we look at what now. So the, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25. Last week I went through a whole lot of history and not much Bible. So today I'm going to go through a whole lot of Bible, Matthew chapter 25, which is broken into three main sections. But the context of it is the disciples coming to Jesus in Matthew 24 verse 3, where it says, Later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to Him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the age? And so Jesus goes through some things that have already happened, that happened in the disciples' lifetime, some things that will happen. It's actually like super um, contested by scholars of what has happened, what's about to happen. Is it both? Did it happen then and it's going to happen again? What does it look like? But then he heads into chapter 25 and he gives two parables and a, a brief little outline. So we're going to go there right now. Matthew chapter 25. He says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids, who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. It does say olive oil. I, didn't, I thought maybe I had a misprint. Um, like you wouldn't think that olive oil could burn lamps. Has anyone, does anyone burn lamps? Maybe I did actually type it wrongly. Olive oil is, as we know, for pandacassa and ducker. Um, when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil... The bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too, this is the point of the parable. The point of the story is, so you too must keep watch for you don't know the day or the hour of my return. So essentially, this is a story about some bridesmaids who were waiting for the bridegroom and they didn't take notice of the scout's motto, always be prepared. Is it? Three, two, three. What's Hunger Games? I think it's three, two, isn't it? It's like a bit of confusion. And um, so, so they, they didn't keep watch. Okay, let's move into the next parable. Again, verse 14, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. Oh dear page. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called out to them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had trusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my 
my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Verse 22, the servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'm gonna give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Verse 24, then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. The master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, this is a story, the point of which is that we have been given an entrustment rather than an entitlement. We are entrusted with what we have. It's not ours for whatever we want. And the master will hold us accountable for that. That is the point of the story. We can get hung up on a lot of details and like, well, what's the bag? What's the bag mean? It's a story with a point, And the point is that we're accountable. So verse 31, now we're heading away from parables. We're heading away from stories into, but when the Son of Man comes in His glory, all the angels with Him, He will sit upon His glorious throne. All the nations, all the nations. So if you've got something with some part of some nation, you want to sort that out because all the nations will be there, will be gathered in His presence and He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at His right hand and the goats at His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, away with you, you cursed ones into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or in prison or sick and not help you? And he will answer, I'll tell you the truth. When you refused to help the very least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, the righteous into eternal life. So mighty God, these are sobering scriptures. And Lord, you put them in your word because you wanted us to read them and you didn't want us to gloss over them. So we pray, Lord, for your enlightenment to come into our hearts and that, Lord, you would illuminate, that you'd settle every single heart here this morning, that you would enable people just to receive from your word for faith to be birthed in their heart. Lord, I pray for a peace to come upon us right now, Lord. Lord, Holy Spirit, your conviction might ramp up, but your peace, Lord, I pray for that as well. And I pray that we might, Lord, we might take away what we need to this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So firstly, let's go in reverse order of these three sections. 
and talk about purpose. Because in this chapter is contained purpose, perspective and promise. And the first thing is a purpose. And our purpose doesn't change. No matter who we are, no matter where we are, our purpose doesn't actually change. Jesus said, we've got to care for the least of these. We've got to care for the least of these. So our purpose doesn't change. He's going to look at us and judge us by how well we cared for the least of these. It is not about your wealth accumulation. It's about wealth appropriation. How well did you do with what God gave you? How much good did you do with the entrustment that God gave you? What are you doing to help the poor? What are you doing to lift others up? It's about how do I best distribute the wealth that I've been given to do the most good? Now, does that mean that we shouldn't have any wealth, full stop. No, heck no. In fact, the thing that God has just blown me away with is things like Christmas and holidays. Like That is where I've seen God show up the most. You would think that that, that would be trivial and God would not be interested in those things. But it's been times when I've actually had, um, we've had nothing for Christmas. Now, one year we did make the mistake and get dug from the pound and and that was a disaster and, and it's a chapter of our lives that we're trying to forget. Bruce and I are trying to forget that, aren't we? Bruce, Doug the dog, um, who ran away. And, uh, but, so, but we would often have no money. And, and then and we would go, oh, wow, there's actually no holidays this year. And then time after time, God would show up and we'd be able to buy presents for the kids and we'd be able to go on holiday. So I don't, God is not against us having a good time. God is not against us using what we have to enjoy ourselves. But we are accountable for it. And we should appropriate it. And the best thing about this is that this becomes our life purpose. That we actually look to see who we can lift up around us. That we look to see who, well, what privilege do I have and how do I spend that in order to help someone who doesn't have the privilege that I have? And I want you to consider for a second, what if that doesn't change when we get to heaven? You might say, oh, but no, Brian, Brian, we're all super wealthy in heaven. I'm going to tell you next week, I don't think that's what it looks like. I think heaven is a place of tremendous purpose as well. And our purpose will not actually ever change. We'll always be looking to be interconnected. And for, if you're an introvert like me, you're like, I thought heaven, I didn't need to be around anybody. But no, it's not true. We're always going to be interconnected and God is going to redeem it all and make it beautiful and awesome. But He wants to start right here. So that means that when you sponsor a compassion child, Jesus notices and He says, what you did for them, you're doing for me. When you talk to a drunk in the gutter and give them dignity by speaking to them and knowing their name and calling them by their name, Jesus says, you did that for me. When you include people in your life that you wouldn't otherwise, Jesus says, you're doing that for me. And He is pleased with you when, he, when you do it. And so that means our purpose doesn't change. It doesn't matter if the stock market crashes. It doesn't matter what happens in the Middle East. Our purpose doesn't change. We keep our eyes focused on the purpose. We we keep our eyes focused on Jesus and the purpose that He's given us. If COVID restrictions change, our purpose doesn't. If who can get into a sporting event or a restaurant changes, our purpose doesn't. We just keep including and lifting people up who have no wealth or, or dignity or privilege and we do whatever we can to lift up people around us. Our purpose changes because of what then impacts what now. So... We should probably take good care of each other now. It's always a good idea. Purpose. Second thing, if we work in reverse, um, not alphabetical order, but order of what Jesus said, is about these um, master and stewards. We're into the parable now. And the first thing we need to notice about this is it should change our perspective. It should change our perspective. 
because it's not an entitlement. It's an entrustment. But firstly, what we need to know from this is you've got the goods. Do you notice that Jesus gave one person five bags of silver because he knew they could handle that. And he gave one person two bags of silver and he said, you can handle that. And he gave one person one bag of silver. And it's much like what Paul reiterated in the scripture that Daz read about communion, that some of us have, you know, parts that are showy and big, strong legs. And I'll testify they are. Um, But also like some of us have, you know, less honourable parts or whatever, but we're all given what we can handle. We're all given what we can handle. And it's not about us looking at old mate over there and going, well, how come he gets five bags? It's not about us looking at old love over there and going, I got two and she only got one. It's about us taking what God has given us and knowing that that's enough to do what He wants us to get done. He's, you've got the goods. You need to know this morning that you've got the goods. Let's read 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and excellence. If you're thinking like, I don't know if I can live this Christian life. It's super hard. No, you've got the goods. God's given you everything that you need. If you, if you freak out at the thought of eternity, if you freak out at thoughts of Scriptures like that, you need to know that God's given you everything you need to to make it. He's given you everything you need. Now, number two, it's an entitlement. Oh, no, it's not. It's an entrustment, not an entitlement. And now the, the audience at the time are completely familiar with this concept. The Jewish people, they had scriptures and songs sung about the earth is the Lord's and the fullness they, thereof. They were under no illusion that what they had was for them. It was like always a stewardship for the Lord God. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 4. Look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. It was accountable. What, the way that they used it was accountable. And the way that we use what we're given, we should be accountable for as well. If you think, well, Brian, you know, my opinion is that it's all going up in smoke and we'll talk about that next week. So why would I bother looking after it now? Because it's a stewardship and you're accountable. It's a stewardship and you're accountable. Number three, it matters what you think of the master. In fact, it makes all the difference. And this is why some people are super passionate about the concept of once saved, always saved. Anyone ever heard of that concept? Um, some others might call perseverance of the saints um, or eternal security. And, and some people are really passionate about it because they say, if you don't like, believe this and grasp this concept, then you'll think that God is just this mean old person wait, waiting to whisk your salvation away from you. Now, the ACC as a whole doesn't have a firm stance on this. And so I'll just tell you what I think personally. I think that Jesus is the author and the finisher of my faith. He's writing the story. He began it and he has the power to bring it to completion. And when he said that you've given me these ones and and no one can snatch them out of my hand, he was talking about me in that. No one can snatch me out of Jesus' hand. However, I also believe that with the free will I've been given that I can get myself up and walk out of his hand and make stupid choices and put distance between myself and God. But my experience is also that his grace chases me down and even in the midst of that. And so I totally believe in free will and I totally believe in the sovereignty of God and I hold those things in tension. But if we have a certain view of the master, we'll be like this. Rather than being a normal kid and saying to each other, well, did you take the last biscuit? And going, no. And, and then your sibling saying, you promise? You're like, yes. And they're like, your pinky promise? Yes. Your pinky promise swear by, you know, whatever. 
You'll be like me and my brothers and sisters who would say, did you take the last biscuit? No. Promise? Yes. If Jesus comes back right now, would you still say yes? And okay, I ate it. And live in this fear that Jesus is going to come back at any moment and judge me for the swear word I just dropped or the lie that I just told. That's why what you think of the master matters. Now, it doesn't matter so that you can then do whatever you want. No, no, no. It matters so that you will leap into every opportunity that God has given you and not take the talent that He's given you and bury it in the ground because you think He's a harsh master. But in fact, you'll stand there when He says, child, jump, I've got you. You'll be like, catch me, Jack. No, wait. Um, I'm flying. Whatever the master is, however you think of him, it matters. And, and, and the parable is not meant to be, like I said, so that you line every single little point up and, and apply it onto God. It's the point of the parable. And the point is that we're accountable. And so our perspective on who he is also matters. He is a good God. Hebrews says that we need to believe that he is and he is the rewarder of all who seek Him. So firstly, God is, but He's also good. And that's the perspective that really makes a difference as well. And then we go, well, everything you've given me, God, what do you want me to do with it? What's this adventure look like? Let's go for it, God. Let's go for it together. And then thirdly, those bridesmaids, those five foolish and five wise bridesmaids, that means that there's a promise. He said, He's coming back. Now, uh, in Jewish times, the betrothal was a really super big deal. And it was like a, a massive thing and a massive celebration. And then what would happen would be that the husband, the groom would leave and he'd go to his father's house and he'd build another room on to the father's house for the bride and for their new family. And then at some point he'd come back and before he'd leave, he'd say, I'm just gonna go to my father's house and I'm gonna prepare a room and prepare a place for us so that when I come, you can come and dwell with me there. And then he would come and, and often the townspeople would come clanging pots and big noise and everything. And then he would get the bride and she didn't know the day or the hour that he was coming. And he would get her and he would take her to this new dwelling where they would set up their new life together. And, uh, and, and that's what a, a Jewish wedding looked like. And so here with the bridesmaids, Jesus is once again referring to himself as the groom in this parable. And he's saying, I'm coming, but you need to be ready. You need to be ready. Be prepared. Always be prepared. We need to be primed. We need to be ready with the oil. Make sure our lamp is still burning. Not, well, God, I did all that stuff for you back then. Remember, geez, we were tight, weren't we? Oh, I miss those times. No, no, the constant oil of His presence and being in His Word and being with Him. And I love the word that Phoebe brought. Make sure you listen to the podcast in the chapel service that we need to be in the Word and we need to be in prayer and we need each other. That's what brings the oil into our lives and ensures that we stay ready. We stay ready to go. We need to be primed. We need to be prepared. We need to be perceptive of the times that we're in. Now, it's true that every world war, they thought Jesus was coming back. And it's true that there were massive natural disasters and I thought Jesus is coming back in my lifetime. And it's true that the disciples 2,000 years ago thought Jesus is coming back in my lifetime. And it's true, as I look around right now, I'm like, surely Jesus is coming back soon. And that's because that's the way Jesus wants us to live. He wants us to always be ready, always be ready for when He comes. So let me ask you the question, where are you at? 
Do you need to change your purpose? Is your purpose reflecting more of, well, I've got this stuff, I've got all this stuff and now I need to buy more stuff? Or are you looking around, who can I help? How can I use my influence? How can I use my privilege? If our purpose in heaven was like the one I've just talked about, would you get whiplash when you got there? Because it was so different for how you're living now. Do you need to adjust your perspective? Do you need to think about the Father and the Master is good? He loves you. He's saying, come on, kid, jump. Let's do this. Got a whole adventure. You're like, mm, sure. Are you living with the very present promise? So let's just pause for a second. Let's reflect. Let's look internally. Let's close our eyes, block out distractions. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us individually. What do we need to hear from that, Lord? Don't let us get away with it, Lord. Don't let us live in apathy. Don't let us live in monotony. Holy Spirit, quicken to us. And Lord, I pray for everyone here that just needs to surrender to you, that they would do that right now. That they would say, Lord, enough, I want to go your way. I've tried enough of my own. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for doing what was necessary in order to be able to bring me into relationship with you. Thank you, Lord. I receive it right now. If you need to do that in your heart, you just do that right now. God sees and God hears. And Lord, I pray for a sense of peace and confidence to come around people's hearts right now. That there's this grand eternal plan that is going on. That you're not surprised by world events and you're not freaking out by church's reputations or anything else, Lord. You are loving us and you're loving the world. And we pray that in return, we would love you and we would love each other and the world as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au. And thanks again for listening.